<laughs> Hi, welcome to Community Birth Center. Thank you for joining us today. We so enjoy taking uh, you taking the time out to listen and tune in. And please know that we make these podcasts especially for you in an effort to bridge any gaps between you and your local midwives. Who we are, how we practice, and what it's like to engage and care with a midwife. And what it's like to have an out-of-hospital birth. These podcasts are for informational purposes only. They are not edited, they are not professionally produced, and they are not perfect. But we hope they bless you in some way as we have been blessed in making and sharing them. June's theme is traditional healing, and our focus today is on healing and recovery from birth trauma. Uh, The mind plays a major role in each of our lives, and that does not stop with our pregnancy and birth. The brain and mind is a huge player in our physical and emotional and social responses to pregnancy, birth, and to our attachment to our babies, including the breastfeeding relationship. Michelle, my midwife colleague, joins me today, and we are so honored to introduce our special guest speaker, Joy Weeks, MA, licensed clinical professional counselor and addiction therapist. She is originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and she has worked in mental health, psychological services, and wellness practices for almost 10 years here in Montana, providing support and encouragement to men, women, couples, and families. Welcome, Joy. We are so glad to have you with us today. Thanks. It's good to be here. In reviewing for this discussion, you encouraged me to read Traumatic Childbirth by Beck, Driscoll, and Watson, published in 2013, and I appreciate that. It gave me better insight into what birth trauma is and what PTSD actually is. Um, So I thought we would just start off defining these terms um, for our listeners based on what the book said. That would be great. Um, So it says birth trauma is any event occurring during the labor and delivery, an event occurring during the labor and delivery process that involves actual or threatened serious injury or death to the mother or her infant. The birthing woman experiences intense fear, helplessness, loss of control, and horror. It actually has a whopping prevalence of 33 to 45%, meaning that 33 to 45% of women perceive their birth in this in this um, in the studies they looked at as traumatic, which shocks me. I mean, it shocks me from a clinical like from a um, research perspective, but from an anecdotal perspective, I hear it all the time. And I would even say that it's maybe even higher, maybe even 75% actually. Um, And PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'll let you define that. But the, the prevalence of that is about one and a half to 3%. I, I'm in this population. You can get anywhere in the, in the literature. It says anywhere from 1% to 42%, depending on what culture you're looking at. But as far as I could tell in our culture, it would be about one and a half. So most women don't go on to develop PTSD from having birth trauma, but some do. So what is PTSD? PTSD is very similar to the definition that you just described. It's a, any actual or perceived um, threat to oneself, either um, fatality or um, a, of a loved one. You can either witness it. A lot of people like um, in September 11th, like mm-hmm. you didn't have to lose a loved one. You can you could have lost a loved one and experienced PTSD, or you could have been witness to people dying 
mm-hmm. and experience PTSD after it's it's um, any real or perceived loss of life or mm-hmm. threat to yourself or someone that you care about. Okay, thank you. So how? Um, so tell us about. Do you have any personal experience with? birth trauma, PTSD, surrounding birth. I've been doing birth story month in May and just hearing women's birth stories. It's, it's pretty common to hear women um, tell sad birth stories or negative birth stories. I would say a lot of times that surrounding the hospital, probably because most women birth in the hospital. And I know that, you know, um, birth trauma can happen in out-of-hospital birth, too. And I, I wanted to touch on that today, too, because it's not necessarily just for hospital. I don't want the hospital birth thing to get attacked too much because it's just birth trauma. It can happen in any setting. But um, I hear it all the time in women's birth stories. Do you know much about that? I've I've heard a lot from a lot of women that their birth experience wasn't what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've witnessed it just um, myself personally in my own birth experience. I've had two kids, but um, as a photographer in my 20s, I used to photograph births mm-hmm. in the hospital. I never did a home birth. And um, what's interesting about the book that I suggested that you read is they added an element to the definition where a woman perceives that she is stripped of her dignity. And I witnessed that just as a 20-something-year-old I just was shocked that within the, the setting that in my mind there was an expectation and I wasn't even the one having the baby mm-hmm. that um, this person deserves and is worthy of the best, most tender care. And it almost seemed like the mother was just kind of um, not an afterthought, but she was the, the focus was on the baby, which yes, it's, it's important, but she, she was not tended to. It was, um, she was, it almost felt like she was just tolerated. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember um, several women just trying to manage their own emotions and just the communication that wasn't being um, given directly to her, but she was surrounded by it. Like mm-hmm. medical staff and OBs and doctors would come in and discuss amongst themselves, but but it wasn't. It was like she was she wasn't even a participate a participant in this miraculous and very vulnerable process and they weren't even checking on her except to poke and prod her and to tell her if she needed to do something but or to talk condescendingly to her it just felt Mm -hmm. arrogant and she was in like the mother was oftentimes invisible and there were so many times that I and it wasn't until after I watched a lot of documentaries about birth years later when I became pregnant with my first child that I realized it was there was an uncanny correlation between around 10 o'clock at night, there, an OB would come in or, or the practitioner would come in and who was in and out the whole time. It wasn't like they were actually there supporting the mother um, a whole lot, but would say, you know, for the sake of the baby, we really need to just get it out, meaning an emergency cesarean. Mm-hmm. And in that vulnerable horrified, you know, scared state, what, what woman for the sake of her baby is going to say, no, no, Mm -hmm. I'd like to continue. And not that it was even presented as an option, which again, there's that powerlessness plus vulnerability that is a really, um, 
fragile combination, like, and, and it's worthy of a protective and nurturing space to play itself out. And I didn't see that in all the, I know we didn't want to demonize hospital. How do, how do women feel um, when they're treated like that, especially during labor? Well, I, are they surprised at first? Because they think, do they think that they're going to be treated better when they go in, do you think? I think they start turning in on themselves. I think they start almost like feeling inadequate in this. We were created, women are the, we we were meant to to birth babies. Mm -hmm. And it's such a deep contradiction to themselves of who they want to believe they are. And yet they're confronted with um, this idea from the medical professionals that are given really high status in our culture today mm-hmm. um, that they don't have what it takes or they're not doing something's not right with their body or things aren't going the way they should. And therefore I watched a lot of women that I don't think they could have articulated at the time just due to the, them being in that experience, but took on a lot of shame and then watched how that played out after, because I had a relationship with all these different women. I was, photographing and then watch different aspects as I became a therapist, how that played out as a consequence that a lot of them weren't even aware that it was connected to their birth. Yeah. They go through, they feel like they failed and they, it doesn't do help their self-esteem at all. Yeah. They feel like, like they're less than who they know that they were designed to be. Cause as women, we know we're, we're supposed to, and if I see the I'm, most normal thing that we do in our whole life. Yes. <laughs> and and I want and it plays out in breastfeeding too. Like, well, if I can't if I can't give give birth without all this assistance, then I, I can't do again what we were designed anatomically to do. Mm-hmm. And enjoy it. And mm-hmm. um I just think that's so devastating and sad for us as a culture and what that the implications so, and the ripple effect of it. So sometimes as a coping mechanism, this is what Shelly, um, our apprentice, had said at one point, that that maybe women kind of block off this piece of themselves that, that hurts and that they don't know how to process. Um, and so that they never maybe even realize that they've been traumatized right. in order to maybe some women deal with it like that. Trauma resides really deep inside the brain, that in, and it's in a place that is not very easily accessed um, through cognitive behavioral therapy or um, even a really archaic um, method that some practitioners use called desensitization or exposure therapy where they kind of make the, the person talk about the event over and over again, hoping that that's going to release it. Um, there is a really renowned um, specialist that has, has he's just... Um, uh, participated in an article in the New York Times, and he was sharing how um, because trauma resides in our bodies and that the place we have to access the trauma through our bodies because that part of the brain that I was referring to before is called the amygdala. It's that almond-shaped part of your brain that is that fight-or-flight smoke detector. Um, So if that's going off all the time, if you've been traumatized, these women, after giving birth... And what, what happens after you go through your birth experience and if it was traumatizing, but you're now, you now are responsible for this new life that needs your ever, every 
every ounce of your energy and your time and your concentration, you're not going to choose to tend to whatever just happened. You, most women will not intentionally bury it, but they can't, they don't have the space or the energy to get to it yet. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to play out as they kind of get a handle on this new role of having their first child or even just another sibling to their family. Mm-hmm. Um, some interesting information from that article was they did a, a survey with 10,000 um, uh, survival, su- survivors of 9-11, and they used the standard psychiatric, you know, therapies, the CBT and the um, even some cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and the number one thing that the um, participants said helped them the most was acupuncture. Darn. It accessed parts of the body. the body that helped them release in a way that talk therapy just couldn't get to yet. Interesting. And then second to that was yoga and massage. And as women, what I, I don't know if you guys notice this, but I, we kind of feel touched out. Like after we have a baby and especially if you've been traumatized, it's like you, you have your wall up mm-hmm. where even though you need that type of care, you've been so violated. Your bo- the very body that needs to be accessed for true healing is una- unavailable to, to external touch or those types of care because it's not to be trusted that amygdala smoke detector is going off. And so in her mind, the mother is like, absolutely not. I've got a, she's in a survival mode state because she wants to take care of her, her child or just survive. I think it brings up for some moms and they go into a depression. Yeah, absolutely. So I see in practice, a lot of, a lot of depression, a lot of panic and anxiety, a lot of um, anger, some suicidal thoughts. And a lot of relationship um, turmoil, like marriages that were once pretty solid are all of a sudden, you know, just not not functioning very well. And it's easy to brush it off for other reasons or but it, it really a lot of times is related to this unattended trauma, like because most people attending a birth will be so their focus is on, oh, if the baby was healthy and everybody's so glad if the baby's doing well, and what about mom who just experienced this horrific, um, disappointing, scary event that she's now feeling like she's got to suck it up and then go take care of this precious little thing that's getting all the attention. And partners get tired of, you know, hearing the story and they just say, you know, move on. You have a healthy baby. Just move on. Right. Let's, Let's go on. Right. Which perpetuates the And problem. some women I read in this book, too, because they had a support group for women of trauma, childbirth trauma, and they said, you know, for some women, this having a baby is not a joyful event. Right. The ones that sustain trauma, that, that they're not. They're not joyful. And everyone is looking at them, oh, are you fortunate? Are you happy? And they're like, well, they can't really say, well, I'm not. But again, that message gets compounded What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Like in that tra- in that traumatic experience, the message they heard was again, "What's wrong with you?" Either their body wasn't cooperating, or you're not pushing. You know, there are all mm-hmm. these. They're not thinking right about it. Yeah, all these mm-hmm. subtle messages or misperceptions get validated to the detriment of the moms mm-hmm. that are just doing the best that they can. Mm-hmm. But again, 
all these other women who are just loving this new experience and they're thinking i i'm living in a in a prison that i can't get out of mm-hmm. and talking about it in groups is like i know we said earlier that talk therapy isn't the number one way to deal with it it has its place but um being in a support group what it does is it it helps get the women out of their their isolation because mm-hmm. they they don't feel like it's it really happened or if it did they dumbed it down and minimized it because everybody else did around them that were even witness to it mm-hmm. you know the practitioners the the partners the family members like if they discounted it then how could how could other people mm-hmm. you know that I tell this story to that I don't even know validate that for me, but they really can. So you said yourself that you had a birth trauma story of your own. Did you want to share that? I did. I mean, it's not not that we rate them on a scale, but um, my first child, we wanted, because I had witnessed what I did um, photographing births, I wasn't anywhere close to having children at the time, but I just knew that if I did, I didn't want to have it in that setting. And mm-hmm. so when I got pregnant um, with my first child, he's a he's a little boy now. He's five and a half. I um I wanted to do home birth, and so we um had a wonderful midwife, and um I labored for thirteen and a half hours at home with intense contractions, and my cervix just would not open, and my midwife at the time didn't know how to manually open it. So I had registered at the quote-unquote birth center in our community, thinking that it would be the less evasive way to go. Mm-hmm. And so we went in for some Pitocin, but upon a, I think we arrived there at 4 in the afternoon, and the midwife that was on call promptly told me that after I explained my contractions and um, when real labor kind of kicked in, she wanted to give me a pain pill and a, a sleeping um, pill and try it again in the morning. And fortunately, um, our midwife was still with us and really advocated for us. And that, that was huge because so many women don't have that when they're in that vulnerable, powerless place, somebody that to truly advocate for, for them and what they want. The birth plan kind of goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and this woman was trying to throw my birth plan out the window and, um, for actually her comfort. It was getting close to her time to clock out and she wanted me to try it again, but then I would have most likely had an emergency cesarean section after going that long. Oh, so she too. wanted to wait till she was off. Until she was ready. <laughs> okay, next you morning. had a nap and she had yeah. a nap. And, <clears throat> and so, um, but then after, even once she finally acquiesced to our request for Pitocin, which is horrible. I, I hated that, but it was, it, it was my only option at the time. And I'm so grateful that there is that intervention for mm-hmm. folks if you need it. Mm-hmm. And I did. And, um, but it was all such a blur. Again, it was like kind of being grabbed and, and then poked and prodded and nobody was talking to me except for like over me or at me. There was no, there was no tenderness. There was no empathy or genuine care. And um, it was striking because I was I, I was spoiled. I was so used to this really personal and deeply rich experience with this midwife that had become part 
of our family, and she was a, a dear friend. She had spent over an hour at every prenatal and um, helped me get ready for this sacred experience. And um, thank God she was still there because everything else just felt cold and distant. And um, finally, at around midnight that night, I was at 10 centimeters and pushed for, I think, two and a half hours because I didn't know this, but my bladder was the size of a um, cantaloupe. I, no one had told mm. me to pee. So that was another fun part of it. Um, but it was, it was kind of a bittersweet. Like, um, I had my son, and Sandana was the only, she apparently grabbed my camera and took pictures. Without her being there, we would have never, like, no medical staff would have picked up my camera and, and took mm. pictures those precious moments mm -hmm. and um you know she was with me the whole time mm -hmm. my my midwife sat with me the whole entire time mm -hmm. whereas all the other medical staff were, were just in and out there was no there was no relationship and within that container of safe relationship it protects you of trauma because for women who have experienced this kind of trauma or any kind of trauma but especially birth trauma it's what's healing is a safe place to deal with what what happened to your body when it was violated, real or perceived. And that, that can only happen through a, a depth of relationship, you know, and if the partner is not available for that, what happened for me, I got what we call in um, the mental health world a, a corrective emotional experience, which that's the definition clinically of true healing. Oh, okay. And when I, was, when I got pregnant with my second child, um, my midwife recommended Michelle here, um, Michelle Neal, and um, who had actually apprenticed her. Um, Michelle had apprenticed Sandano, and I um, I met her, and I instantly knew she was the one. Mm -hmm. And uh, she encouraged me to interview other midwives, and I didn't need to. And um, what she gave me was a do-over. Like, I couldn't get it back that experience with my son, although I, I was grateful he's, he's fine and doing well, but I got to have the birth that I so desperately wanted and knew in that deep part of me as a woman was normal, mm -hmm. that we had been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. And I didn't need all the bells and whistles. Like I was grateful that they were there if I needed them, but I didn't have to go into a cold, sterile environment to bring life into my, my world. And my world at, at that time, and the most special place in my life was my home. So it was really special to build a, what I hope to have is a lifelong relationship with somebody who helped me birth my daughter. And what was really cool was because I had such a good relationship with Michelle, she knew what to say and how to say it every time when I needed her during the whole process. Like there's just, you can't get that by just 15 minute or 20 minute prenatal appointments. I just, there's no way you could have had that depth of knowing someone for that type of support. We all, as moms, we need, we need well, some really special support. That's the mind part of it, isn't it? Yeah. That's the, that's, I had re actually written a little bit before this preparation and saying, you know, 10 minutes like women have in the, in the, um, tradi you know, the allopathic world. Yeah is what their prenatals might be, 10 to 15 minutes. And yes, you can check a urine, you can do a blood pressure, you can listen to fetal heart tones in that time, but you cannot assess a woman's internal environment in that time. Or you cannot establish much trust 
or and so really most of the appointment is just that most of what we do spending an hour is establishing that safe haven for women and so I think that's interesting so do you think over all those months nine months of of doing creating that safe haven do you think that's protective for women Um, protective against birth trauma I think it's absolutely the most protective thing we can do as women because when you from a cultural perspective, like if you if you read about how different cultures have done birth, they've always done it in close community with other women. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten so isolated as a culture that we it's almost foreign. Like we like we why, don't know what's normal why, anymore. Really. Why why is it normal that the per you may or may not have your OB or your midwife that if they're not on call. You get somebody that you don't even know to help you do the most miraculous and vulnerable thing that you'll ever do in this life. Like I just, why is that nor Why has that become the new normal? Or why are scheduled cesareans now the new norm? And, and women, they don't even they know that they're missing something, but they. They replace it with something else. Well, because their mothers tell have been the same, have had the same experience. So they just we've lost our memory of what normal is right. because it was so long ago now that we used midwives more than physicians. Mm-hmm. When that all changed, I think at the turn of the century, last century, women need to tell their birth stories yeah. and share them. Yeah, yeah, even to their children. Like I, I was struck by the. Yeah, how 34 to 44% of women have felt they've experienced birth trauma. And I think that that's the low number. I think think that's low, too. I think if more women were honest. Because 98%, or 97 to 98% in Montana birth at the hospital. And I think it would be higher, don't you? Yes. And we don't, and and if we as a culture don't think that being stripped of your dignity, which is part of that definition, won't have a lasting effect on on our our lives and culture like uh, like then we are we are fooling ourselves there it comes at a at a um sad consequence i think for all of us what what's that saying the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world like mothers are we 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 give a lot of ourselves and to start out that experience being neglected and almost isolated unto yourself rather than supported and encouraged in a way that's truly caring and and genuine and and um, thorough where you're not just fe- feeling like you're a pe- I, I read a lot of the birth st- stories that women felt like they were just like a piece of meat on a slab um I, yeah but an animal felt like an animal yeah. violated a lot of rape analogies yeah. lots of rape yeah. analogies and the stories we hear from women because yeah. it's so you know they're being checked against their well, and everything. Um, well, even if you watch the documentaries that are out there, the whole position that most women are are encouraged to be in are not even given any other options are for the sole convenience of the physician. It's it's mm-hmm. not. Why is why is birth about the convenience of somebody else? What what would it be like if if birth was all about what was best for the mom? And that's what I think you all do so well and that's that's what mothers should experience that they are the ones
one's being tended to and that they're that oxygen mask analogy. I love using that one myself. Put your own oxygen mask on first. If we're not doing that to the moms, Mm -hmm. how do we expect the baby? Like, yes, yes, I'm glad the babies are, are doing well in terms of their out, but childbearing is more than the physical layer it's mm-hmm. it's bearing with our how are we supposed to bear with our children in the days and months and years to come mm-hmm. if we've experienced such loss and trauma and we don't even know how to access it because our culture doesn't support it so um ptsd is i know what the dsmv is that mm-hmm. the dsmv is that and has all this criteria for the actual diagnosis um and it and one of the things is going on longer than a month so it's it's the stress response that goes on. And if I have the, the things here. I just thought I'd touch on them. Um, um, to be diagnosed with actual PTSD, which it says the prevalence is one and a half to three. What would you say the prevalence of PTSD due to childbirth trauma would be if you had to guess in our, in our region? In our region? Oh, I don't. Would it be around there or do you think it would be higher even? The majority of women that I talk to, they, they don't, they share their birth story but from the context that they're so grateful that their babies are okay yet when they tell me their story and then I see the consequences of how it's playing out in their lives as a therapist I'm struck that there is that disconnect it's like I have a I had a dear friend that had twins and it was a a really traumatic experience and then it continued to be after because they were born premature and all these things that happened and I'm watching, I'm watching her deteriorate, but yet her loyalty is still to the, it, she's not tending to herself. She's just so glad that the babies are okay. And, and I think there's room for both. I think we can celebrate that the babies are well and focus on giving them the care they need without neglecting the mom who went through everything that she went through and is still experiencing mm-hmm. the trauma related to that. So, so it's exposure for PTSD. You have to have exposure to trauma. Um, the traumatic event is persistently re-experienced in negative ways. Uh, there's persistent avoidance of stimuli associated with the trauma. Um, there's persistent symptoms of increased arousal, meaning difficulty sleeping, anger, outbursts, increased startle responses. The symptoms go on greater than a month, and it causes significant distress or impairment. So what, what is this going to look like in someone that's had birth trauma after a month? <clears throat> what might give us a picture of what, how it might manifest in a woman's life, PTSD from birth trauma? Um, potentially, it could be just headaches, lots of just headaches and um, <clears throat> chronic fatigue that's more than just life as a mom of a newborn. There's going to be a lot of fatigue, but this is... This is a little deeper. This is emotional exhaustion, mm-hmm. um, like no, just no sense of having any reserve. Um, nightmares, insomnia, um, just inability to connect, like with other people. Like depression defined is, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, you're you're not finding anything that you used to enjoy enjoyable anymore. But there's also this this inability to to do anything that's a little bit outside of of what you can just barely handle to take care of your family like there's no there's no reaching out or ex- extending yourself in relationship outside of because you, you there's almost the sense of 
you have there's nothing almost like that sh- sh- empty shell sense or mm-hmm. feeling that there's nothing to, I have nothing to offer and therefore there's nothing that get, gets extended mm-hmm. which is a problem because then the isolation and the thoughts and the again the shame is really a deep message that I think is carried on in ways that women don't allow themselves often time and space to to dig into mm-hmm. what do you have, have Michelle do you have experience with people that have had over the years birth trauma and maybe had some PTSD or oh certainly because um, <clears throat> it comes up when they're talking about their birth story and their how anxious they are for their next labor they're you know fearful mm-hmm. of how it will go um, and so I always feel fortunate that we're allowed as much time with families to talk about it. Um, How do you address the, what are some things that you do as a midwife just to kind of help them? Well, specifically in labor, I, I, I allow them as much space as they need um, to, to work through, through that. Um, and, you know, I, I, I go to births earlier than with those moms than I would generally for certain families. Um, I'm a lot more, you know, acting as a one-on-one, as the doula person for them, rather than sitting back and being more clinical for those moms. Um, I'm very protective of, you know, how I talk to them, how I touch them. Um, I try not to even do exams on them. Um, I go, I just feel like I try to go out of my way to make the experience, you know, everything's going fine the way that they, they want it. So I'm just listening to them while they're laboring. Mm, that's that's really good is can you can you recommend anything else that we do like in as midwives in prenatal care or you know we spend a lot of time already but um um in prenatal care or uh, well let me stop here just for a second because when i was studying about ptsd in this book it it talks about the environment it uses an earthquake analogy have you heard that where it's like um Women, anybody that has ends up having PTSD as a disorder, they've already had like a lot of chronic stress. They call it brain strain, or someone has called it brain strain along the line, um, where you just, you have these tremors of stress and it can be like traumatic childhood. There's risk factors that I have written down. Let's see. Um, Uh, Prenatal depression, prenatal anxiety, prenatal PTSD, history of psychiatric problems, um, prior trauma, especially childhood sexual abuse. So some people are coming to us when they get pregnant that may have some of these things going on. And they're already going to be having tremors in their life that's going to be kind of um, weakening them and straining their brain to, to the point that maybe by the time the birth rolls around or maybe seeing whoever they see by the time the birth rolls around their brain can't take anything else so they have this huge traumatic event which is like an emergency c-section or the fear that their baby's going to die or that they're going to die and that kind of causes this disorder to happen and so i i i wonder about um Will prenatal care help prevent with nine months of working with women? Will it kind of calm them in any Is there anything midwives can really do? I mean, considering that women are coming to us maybe with this history. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. I think it's a huge opportunity to prepare them and allow them to, to start that healing process before 
um, birth because that very often is the tipping point. You see a lot of the emergency cesareans, I believe, are, I, I, I wish they would do more um, studies, but I, I really do think, like you said, there's some compounding issues that all of us have um, to some extent, and then, but there is a, a tipping point. And what you as midwives, I think, are already doing is providing a lot of um, genuine support and empathy and a safe space for, for women to, to go through this, this process of, of, of bearing life and getting ready for it. But I think something that could be encouraged, if it's not already being encouraged, is some body work. I think women neglect, or it can often neglect that piece. Um, we tend to focus on what we're eating, you know, as, as which is mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. But I think implementing more body work, you know, I love that you guys have the yoga classes mm -hmm. here and um, any acupuncture or I found kinesiology um, was, was very effective. Um, but there's, there's some body work and some, even some therapy or if you've got women that are at that place where they are wanting to talk, more about mm -hmm. it and, and do some more intense work that absolutely I don't want to discount all of you know cognitive behavioral therapy I think it has a space but I don't I don't think women need to be medicated um, as much as they are for some of these issues they just need to have a safe place to so just process it. listening to them listening but you know what's nice about um, I think having the the classes that we have too is that it gives parents and the women more opportunity to talk to other women yeah. who may have had the same experience. So yeah. they're not as isolated. Yeah. And, and in, in reading the book, it said um, that debriefing, because I had thought, well, um, okay, well, let's, t let's talk about uh, what if, what if we have emergency transports? We have them sometimes. And so that was, you know, something for me to remember that our women can have birth trauma and even though hopefully they don't aren't as likely to have it because birth trauma is when you feel um, fear and helplessness. So I think we could help prevent that. And we're with them in the hospital. Um, but they're still going to feel loss of control and maybe even horror at what's happening. And so they still, our women may still have birth trauma if we have a, you know, a, an emergency transport or something. And I read the debriefing, which is when you talk to women in the postpartum days up to even 10 weeks, they found debriefing is not helpful, not statistically significant for helping women, I guess, because the trauma goes so deep and they're, they're not able to access it that quickly. So that's interesting to me that, um, what would, what could we do instead then? What if we have, you know, an, you know, a transport or something, how can we help women not, just, I think that's a great question. I think um, continuing to do as much as you can on the front end mm -hmm. so that if a, an emergency, mm -hmm. you know, you, you talked about having different um, groups and even some art art therapy, some creative ways to kind of deal with some fears and, you know, expectations of birth mm -hmm. um, that might demystify their fears a bit mm -hmm. and they'll be less set up for a traumatic experience on the front end, right. but if something does happen where they have to go mm -hmm. in or it is an emergency transport, I just because 
women aren't able to access that trauma just yet doesn't mean that care and support isn't vital because mm -hmm. when they are in a place where they can they you will you will be the the one or the few that are actually available to meet her where she's at or actually suggest when the time is right um, to, to tend to that piece. I've had, well, I haven't done it in a few years, but when women had those kinds of birth experiences where I had to transport them, that was when I would choose to do the mother roasting for them like at 10 days, between 10 days and six weeks, because <clears throat> it really allowed them to have all the attention was put on them and a lot of times they would cry um, and then it would give us the opportunity to talk afterwards. So the emotions yeah. would come up. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. And then, and also watching the movie, The Weeping Camel. Nice. And what is that about? Um, it's a foreign flick. <laughs> um, Mongolian, I, I'm pretty sure. And um, so it's subtitles, but you can actually just watch the movie and have a total understanding. It's about a camel who gives birth. Um, and it's a very difficult birth, and so the the mom is really disconnected from the from the baby, and so you watch the the tribe trying to encourage the mother to accept the baby, so the baby's not she's not nursing the baby, she's pushing the camel away all the time, and and um, after several days, you finally see them come together that there is a a closing, kind of like a closing ceremony between mom and baby, and baby is accepted again and starts nursing the baby takes mm. so I, I i like having moms watch that because i feel like sometimes they feel like they have failed or they're they're distant from the baby because something traumatic happened and that they have to be allowed the time and they shouldn't feel bad about it to get back into that space with with their infant attachment was one of the things that suffers with birth trauma potentially and then moms feel then they feel guilty about it so, but it is natural that if you have something like that that happened to you, that you will have need some space. It said it can take um, for real bonding to finally happen can take one to five years after the birth, yeah. which is a pretty long time. Yeah, that's a, and that's during a real fragile attach in terms of attachment um, theory. Like that's that those are the prime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, attachment. You know, those bonds are really important. And then the breastfeeding, I hadn't thought about that animal, an animal kicking away their baby and not wanting to nurse, but that's kind of the same thing. So many, do you think that that's why so many women don't want to breastfeed is because birth trauma rates are so high? Do you think that goes along with women choosing to bottle feed? I think that's one of the consequences of having a traumatic birth is if you're in survival mode, having, you know, breastfeeding takes a lot. It takes a lot out of our, ourselves, even mm -hmm. coming from a more, um, full place but when you've been stripped of your dignity or experienced a, a birth that was traumatic you have you must feel like you don't you have less of yourself and therefore it plays out in our bodies mm -hmm. i hear a lot of times that i, I don't have enough milk and, I, and that's you know, the stress of yeah so the, then the anxiety uh -huh. and the panic yeah and so and sometimes they might not right because they're not making enough milk because of the stress hormones mm -hmm. right it all, it's all tied in, I think. Mm -hmm. It all has a place. And sometimes it's just fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety. But a lot of times if it's low milk, then, you know, they're being, well, you know, you probably should put the baby on a bottle. And mm -hmm. then that just deteriorates the mother bond with baby even more. Because yeah. then 
It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Done something again wrong. Her body's failed her. Right. When when do women need to get therapy? When did women need? When is when is a midwife not enough? Mm-hmm. When they're ready. I think um, that's so unique for each person. That's a hot. There's no. Um, if they're feeling bad all the time, if they're struggling, if they're family relationships, if yeah. they're if they're if wanting they're, to talk about it and their husband's tired of hearing about it, yeah. I mean, if their life is deteriorating mm-hmm. or their sense of self, especially, is if their identity um, is deteriorating in such a way that they just they don't feel like they can get up over it, or they're not making any, it's like their tires are spinning, they just mm-hmm. can't get any traction in an upward um, direction. Absolutely, I think it would help to talk with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't even have to be, a, you know, about the trauma itself initially. I think sometimes just establishing another safe, a relationship within a, a, a safe space, but having that container to then begin to explore some things that just are out of, are out of alignment. They're just needing some tending to, but creating that special space and, and time for that. Just hard to do as a new mom. What would you say to, do you have anything to say to moms with struggling with birth trauma now? Or Oh, the first thing that comes to mind is just the need to be so gentle with themselves, to really, um, to not blame themselves, to not, to do whatever it takes to, um, not accept the messages, the shaming messages that, um, degraded their sense of who they are as a woman and as a mom, mm-hmm. um, and to really seek those relationships and, and, and things that nourish them for, for a long period of time mm-hmm. that they really, I, I love reading about other cultures. There's, there was one culture that after the baby's born, like for 40 days, they, the mom and baby don't do anything other than sleep and hang out and only the immediate family brings in meals and basically she doesn't have to lift a finger to do anything other than to feed herself and nurse her baby and it allows that space to to feel nourished and tended to and I feel like right after women check you know get discharged from the hospital or get done with having the baby they they're back on to like okay I gotta Take care, of the take care of everybody, mm-hmm. and I just think that is, we're doing it wrong. That's another way that I think as a culture we're really doing it wrong. It, it really needs to be, I mean, I love that oftentimes, you know, friends and family will make meals, will be, but it's, it's so much more than just meals. It really is that space to get that deep, restful sleep and that, that just cherished time of getting to know your new little one, especially after a trauma. Um, because there's some things to, to work through and to work out in that. Um, we definitely have postpartum backwards yeah. in our culture. So. Yeah. So yeah. maybe even just writing the birth story and or talking about it if you can yeah. to as many people that you can. And I think maybe for women to, if they did have a traumatic birth experience, sometimes it's, it's nice to be able to write what you like how you wished it it what was mm-hmm. or how it how you wanted it to be mm-hmm. you know not that you can't ever go back and fix it but in some ways we can retell our stories in a way that um 
don't add to the shame, but then we can find some strength mm-hmm. in, in that story that was a little bit sad. Is anger kind of one of those first healing responses? Like, are you feeling angry, or is that a... I think angry is one of the first responses, but underneath the anger is just a lot of hurt. Uh-huh. I think the anger needs to have a, an outlet. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, what's underneath the anger needs that really safe, tender care and touch. I really do think body work has an amazing Because place. not even having... I don't think even having a second birth the way you want it to go can always take away the birth trauma from a previous birth. Oh, no, I don't. What I don't do you think? Because in the book, it talks about how that can be healing. But um, I think that it can be really deep-seated and, and, not, and still there, no matter how many successful, happy births you go on to have, right? I think... Um, do you think it needs to be addressed in particular? I think it's helpful if it is. Mm-hmm. I know for me, my, my experience of birth trauma was there was such a healing in my second birth mm-hmm. doing it that it, it didn't discount. Like I can st- still remember the trauma, but it doesn't have as much power over me. I see. There's that healing has taken place where I can, I can look at it for what it is and it doesn't crush me or it doesn't, then there's not a negative consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, not to my knowledge anymore other than a, a, a gratitude for what I did finally get to experience mm-hmm. that, that renewed hope mm-hmm. kind of overshadowed the the initial um, experience that was just really devastating and the consequences because at first I thought oh this is just postpartum or this is just because we live in a new town there's all these ways that we as women can try and suck it up mm-hmm. and rationalize away or minimize what really happened to us rather than taking the time and asking for, that's really hard to do. I think as women is asking to be, to be cared for. It's almost like we believe because we have experienced it, especially those of us with any abuse or neglect in our histories or attachment wounds. You know, it's like believing that we're worth being cared for is a hard thing to overcome that in and of itself. But that is so key because that's what we need. I think also um, having the mother tell her birth story to her baby mm. is really important mm. so that the baby has an understanding, even though everyone says, oh, that's the baby understand at this point. But I think that they can hear, they can sense, they have, they feel the mother telling the birth story. Mm. That's probably the first person the mother should be telling the birth story to. Mm. I would agree. Michelle encouraged me to do that with Isaac Mm -hmm. and I did and it was because he was safe enough like no one was going to minimize that you know he wasn't going to minimize it but I could I don't know what it did for him but I know that there was a lifting Hmm. which was really beneficial and this is your second child no my first the first one and then I did get to tell Uh Hattie even though her birth story was great (laughs) I told her too and she was much younger but it was it's a really beautiful thing to do and to write it down, but to tell them. Yeah, I think they need to hear it when they're, even, you know, as infants, they need to hear their birth story several times. Well, they talked in the book about anniversary, how anniversary can be so, you know, potentially difficult. So what if someone's had a birth trauma, a birth trauma, and how how are they, like, every, you know, when the anniversary comes around and they want to, how do you encourage them to tell their birth story to the baby? Right? 
the child? I think rituals are are real important on anniversaries of trauma or loss. Like that's, um, and that's unique to each person to really mm-hmm. find something that um, doesn't add to the um, degradation of it, but can kind of finding the beauty in the ashes kind of a thing mm-hmm. where you can um, still honor it, even though it was a something that was painful as a way of of overcoming it mm-hmm. as a as can you give us any examples or not? Um, to... I think there's a woman that I know that had a, a traumatic birth and what she did after she had a stillbirth but it was a traumatic mm-hmm. um, experience and she um, had sent out kind of like an, a birth announcement mm-hmm. and it was with the, the cards that have the wildflower seeds mixed in so you can plant the seeds and I think every year since on the anniversary, she goes out and plants more wildflowers. And that's her way of just honoring what ha- not only the loss of her, her child, but just dealing with the trauma of that for her, which will, you know, won't, won't ever completely go away. But she's found a way to deal with it um, beautifully, I, I think. Mm-hmm. And some women um, take a trip. I know of different women who... Um, have gone through a hard time in birth and they kind of turn it into a girls weekend years later and they go and just spend time with nourishing, nurturing women mm-hmm. um, for that time because they know that they're going to be emotional and maybe their partners aren't as tolerant or supportive and that they go, they're proactive in, in getting their needs met because that's so important. That's a good idea. I want to say, too, when you mentioned fathers, that it, fathers can have PTSD. They can have birth trauma Absolutely. from the women's experience. And maybe I'm surprised if they don't have it more because men aren't really equipped with the same thing that women are going into it all. And, you know, I see a lot of fear on dad's faces sometimes. And so, yeah, it's not surprising that men can have birth trauma and then have even feel more isolated because who are they going to talk to about it? Right. Right. Um, I, I know the men that I've talked to that have had um, experience or their wives have experienced um, traumatic events at birth. There's a sense of like, oh, well, I wasn't as connected mm-hmm. because the baby wasn't, even though they didn't have the baby inside their own body. They, I, I hear that often that that's almost a way of discounting. Like they did, they almost kind of slough it off as like, oh yeah, that was hard, but um the, the few men that once once they started um, exploring that some more realized that no this was this was a loss for me too but like you said it, very rarely are are they um, I think we need to know I think we need to educate ourselves and women about that that men can have trauma yeah. from births in the hospital and transports and that yeah that needs to be honored and maybe even called out a little bit absolutely i i haven't really thought about it too much before now absolutely you have any experience with that well i wonder sometimes when a a dad is adamant about not being at a birth um you know where where that is coming from so uh, i've had a couple um fathers who um you know, their their mothers had, you know, died in the hospital. Um, or I had one father whose mother, his mother died during childbirth. And um, 
he actually uh, was a transport. He was totally fearful about being in the hospital. So he, you know, he was going through a, a, an experience that he felt out of control. So I know that for my husband, he lost his mom to cancer and but was with her for three years during the battle and was in the hospital all the time. And he, that was one of the reasons he was so supportive of me getting a home birth because he had no, um, no good memories mm-hmm. of, of that particular environment and was open to doing it differently because of that association. Mm-hmm. But, and I think that that's really pretty common in men. Yeah. To even just to add, I think a lot of times the focus can sometimes be in the initial, like, um, it's interesting, the na- the focus on the names or the nursery and really making space within the prenatal period to, to really talk with your partner about what's coming up for them or what their experience mm-hmm. has been, you know, aspects that they might not even know about. Because how often have, have any of us really broached that subject before until we're kind of in the midst of our own birth experience, but mm-hmm. it's important for the men to be attended to as well. Mm-hmm. Well, how can women reach you if they want to talk more with you? Um, they can reach me here at the birth center or um, my phone number. I I, um, I don't have a website, but okay. I have my phone number. Me give it yeah, out. you can give oh, it out if you it's, want to. It's um, 406-544-5517. Okay. Well, thank you so much for Thanks. being here today. Thanks I learned so much. And we love you, Joy. Yes, we do. <laughs>